Instructions for living a life. Pay attention, be astonished, talk about it. That's poet Mary Oliver, and this is Everyday Wonder, a podcast where we try to turn down all the yelling and screaming going on these days so we can have the conversations that really matter. I'm Brett Will Taylor, and I am here with my co-host, Renee Peck. Hello, Brett Will. It's nice to be here. Today, we're focusing on the everyday wonder of real books, the physical, tangible thing. Uh, Not that we're putting down e-readers, although that may happen, uh, but we're wondering about the magic of actually holding something with pages, of turning the page, of writing on the page, of creasing the the margin, of, of creasing the corner of that page. What happens when people cannot pull a well-cherished or an interesting book off a shelf at a library or a bookstore? Does the lack of something to hold in your hand diminish the reader? Does it diminish the work? Does it change the way that we approach literature? For this episode, we have invited a pair of career bibliophiles, both well-known New Orleans thinkers and readers, to join the conversation. Susan Larson is a former colleague and friend. She was the book editor at the Times-Picayune for more than 20 years, and she now talks about all things books on The Reading Life, her weekly show on WWNO Public Radio. She's also the author of The Book Lover's Guide to New Orleans, and Susan, we welcome you. Thanks so much. So happy to be here. Gladden Scott is the former owner of the Maple Street Bookshop, which for 53 years had something of a cult following in New Orleans with its mission to fight the stupids. Gladden tried valiantly to keep Maple Street going, but as with so many independent booksellers, he could not compete with the increasing and overwhelming competition of Amazon and eBooks. So hello, Gladden, and welcome. Thank you for having me. I think we just have to say that in front of Susan are five (laughs) books, actual books, um, including, did you say two that you made? Yes. Tell us about Describe yes. us. You're the, a journalist just like Renee. What's in front of you? Well, these are the five books I would save in a fire. <laughs> these are the ones I keep near, near myself all the time. And one is The Lady's Companion to The Flower Garden by Jane Loudon. It was a botanical illustrator in the 1800s, and there's one of her illustrations in this. And it was printed in 1853. And she was the first woman to write science fiction. She wrote a novel called The Mummy long before Anne Rice got started. And I love her. I love her life story. And I love that this book is so old and, you know, it was published during her lifetime. And then these are two books I made in bookbinding class. Because when e-readers took everything over, I thought, I better learn to make paper. I better learn to make my own (laughs) books. It's so, sort of a, a literary version of the survivalist yeah, club, right? Yeah, it's like yeah. you got to have paper. And so one of these is like a perfectly bound little book. And um, I soon discovered I couldn't see white thread on white paper to sew. So all my books are sewn in red thread. And, <laughs> and they're all deeply flawed, but I love them I because love this. that's my, my trademark. And these two are poetry scrapbooks. These are my favorite, favorite these are just little things I do for therapy because I clip oh. things and illustrations. And then at the end of the year, I read my poetry scrapbooks and send poems to all my friends. Aww. That's so, beautiful. We need to do an episode on this because it sure as hell beats <laughs> Facebook posts. That's it be, great. Yeah. It beats holiday cards too. I mean, so. I can see that books for you are very personal. They and are. That the, and they that are. the allure of books is the individuality of what they bring to the experience. Gladden, you took over Maple Street Bookshop in 2015, but you were a customer of the store from the age of like 17. So you right. basically grew up with who the people who became your customers. 
what do you think unites people who have this love, this tactile appreciation for holding books? Well, certainly for me, it's been the sense of community and that I think a printed book really encourages that that an e-reader for me does not. Do you have an e-reader? I was given, like Susan, I was given a Kindle <laughs> one Christmas when they first came out. But unlike Susan, I've never used it. Oh, ah. such strength. <laughs> I do read online, but um, not books. I get up When I get up in the morning, I'll read the New York Times and the Washington Post mm-hmm. online. But I don't, I've never downloaded and read a book. That's pretty amazing. You're a purist. I yeah. Like it. And you know, I hadn't downloaded a book until a couple of weeks ago where my co-host over here, Peer Pressure, was like, well, you should try it. You know, you might If you're like going to talk about it, you should at least exactly. know the other side, and, right? Um, so I've downloaded a couple, um, and I kind of go, I think, to where you're at, Susan, which is, you know, in some... In, in some situations, I've been okay with it. I travel a great deal, like almost every other week I'm on the road. I used to be someone that would pack seven or eight books to bring with me. So I do like that I can just have the books with me. But I am, um, as a student of myth and of poetry, um, I can't read Rumi. I can't read Mary Oliver. I've tried both and on my phone, and it's not the same. There's no crackle. There's no sparkle. Um, the magic isn't in the words. I totally agree. I, re- I have to read poetry aloud. Mm. I actually read it to my dogs. and <laughs> they're Which very, are two golden retrievers we've very learned. Very appreciative. But, you know, for many poets, the poem read is the poem finished. You know, that's yeah. the end of it. That's and so right. I guess you can't do that on an airplane anyway. You could, because people behave so poorly on an airplane. Believe me, that it I think reading things. a poem might help. <laughs> I'll try that the next time I'm on Delta. Well, you know, it's interesting because I do think that all of us see the usefulness of having uh, e-readers. Well, maybe not you, Gladden, but you'll get there someday, <laughs> perhaps. Um, but and, and I will say it saved my marriage because I like to read in bed at night, and my husband is very averse to any kind of light at all. So we fought for 30, 40 years on me reading at night in bed with the light on, and when the uh, e-readers came out and my iPad and I could kind of put the covers over me, then it really did save my marriage. But what a lot of studies show is that people read faster and perhaps more shallowly on an e-reader. And I think that's what y'all are saying. If it's something that goes fast, I like to read mysteries and thrillers, then an e-reader is fine. But if it's something that needs more depth, if it needs uh, to really absorb the story or get into it, then then the real book is 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 what allows you to to interact with that in a more visceral way. It's essential for me to have a real book. Whenever I'm whenever I'm going to interview somebody or talk to them about their book, I wait for a paper copy because I put post-it notes at all the spots that I want to go back to and then I go back and read the post-it notes. And whenever I'm interviewing an author, this is like so old school, I want them to sign the copy I read. I don't want them to, I don't care if it's the advanced copy or the finished copy. I want them to touch the copy I touched. And so I only read extraneous stuff on an e-reader. So I'm with you there, really. Yeah. How many books do you have, Gladden? Oh. Oh. (laughs) Actually, very few now. When I had the bookshop, I literally had storage units filled with books. Mm -hmm. When I was closing the bookshop, I said, I'm not going to try to keep all this stuff. And I brought as much as I could to the bookshop to sell at the shop and surprisingly sold 
a great bit. deal. Yeah. And the rest I brought to the Symphony Book Fair after we closed wow. and gave so, to yeah. them. You know, so I've kept a few favorites. There are things that I have that were in my parents' library growing up. Also things that were special to me, like one of my favorite authors was Iris Murdoch. Oh, and sure. I got to meet her and speak with her. So I have a book that she signed for me when I met her. So that was, you know, very special to me. Was and, this um, when she came to Tulane? It was. Ah. Uh-huh. You know, that that brings up book as artifact. And that is something to consider. You know, books go way back. Uh, but when we dig up a 5,000-year-old civilization, part of what we dig up is the written part of that era. And... 5,000 years from now, people perhaps can dig up books, but the the Kindles and the iPads are all going to be long dead. So I think that uh, I thought that when we put things in cyberspace, they would live forever. But in a way, they don't. Uh, Susan and I have copy cannot get copies now of things that we wrote for the Times-Picayune 20 years ago because they're gone. So I guess for you, books are in a way artifact, right? They are. Well, they have so many happy memories. It's just that I don't know that a book on an e-reader would have the same meaning to me. Yeah, I don't. When we're reading off of our phone or a Kindle, we are reading off of a machine, and machines don't have souls ever. And you know, we book is artifact. Absolutely, I think of some of the books that I cherish, and I do still carry with me. I mean, um, um, there's books sitting at my place where I'm staying here right now that I just move with me. They're and they're not artifacts to me, they are living things. And I regularly have an experience with a book where someone will have sent it to me and I'll read the first couple pages and be like, eh, I don't know why they gave this to me, there's nothing here. And then sometimes years will go by and I'll hear the book and I'll go and I'll pull it off the shelf and you open it up to a page and it's like, I never. it's almost like those words were put there just for that day or the book was waiting on the shelf. And I just don't think I get that experience from an app. That kind of goes back to Gladden, the bookstore being the community hub, because there's several aspects to that. When I was living in the French Quarter, when I first moved to New Orleans, there was a used bookstore down the street. It was uh, La Librairie, and Sam and his cat were, maybe the Sam was the cat, it's, you know, can't remember. But I spent hours and hours in that store going through the books on the shelf, and there's some serendipity about going through multiple titles and finding one that appeals to you that you would never have come across any other way except by seeing it there. There also was the bookseller, which would have been you, telling you, well, if you like mysteries, you might have liked, you might like this author, you might like that author. So that that curation we have lost perhaps with the demise of the independent bookstore and and perhaps that ability to browse. You know, is that an experience that you you saw when you were in I was one of those kids who I'd ride my bike to the library. And I'd stay all day. My mother would call them and say, send him home now. (laughs) And so, and then when I got a driver's license, Maple Street Bookshop became that land of discovery. And of course, just listening to people talking in the shop um, was so amazing because for me, these were the smartest people in the world. They were talking about things I didn't know anything about. We were talking about the civil rights movement, about the Vietnam War, and then just about writers like John Updike. Yep. I think at that time, Philip Roth, Goodbye Columbus, had just come out. I bought my first two Virginia Woolf books. Wow. Uh, to the Lighthouse. And, and I kind of think like you almost have to buy Virginia Woolf books in a bookstore. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. There. And, you know, it was just every time you went there, 
It was this tiny little cottage with all these tiny rooms and all these books. And it was just fascinating. And I've never lost my love of independent bookshops because each one you go into will be different. That's a really beautiful point. Each one, you know, really represents the interest of not only the owners, but the employees. It's just amazing. Maple Street was the first place I went on my first trip to New Orleans. A friend took me there because I was we were thinking of moving here, and I thought, well, I don't know, I don't know. And they this, said, you need to go to Maple Street. party city. <laughs> there you go. But a friend said, okay, here's Maple Street Bookshop. When you're through there, walk to the end of the street and catch the streetcar. You'll be just fine. And I walked in, and I was. I mean, I bought all these books. Yeah. So it you was know, home. It's interesting, and I hadn't thought about this till listening to you, Gladden, and, and taking us, thank you through your experience as a child. As a kid, I so didn't know where I belonged for a variety of reasons. And I had forgotten until listening to you, my mother would leave me at one of those half-price bookstores which in Dallas was like, you know, huge. And they had gazillions of books and it was so tall. And, and so she knew I could be in there probably for five years and I wouldn't look at all the books. But I would just wander the maze of the stacks and through the books, but also the people there. I was like, well, these are my people. I don't know what that means, but, you know, this is where I belong. You know, it's interesting. My five-year-old grandson loves the Ladder Library. It's his favorite place to go, and he goes in there and he pulls all the books down. At his school, he loves to go to the library. And it's interesting to think how much things are changing and yet how much they aren't in a way. And I don't know where educational trends are going necessarily. I know that they all seem to have iPads at birth or whatever these days. But I do think that there's something special about that library experience or actually sitting with books around you that that appeals. Of course, today, young people are reading more on e-readers than older people, and digital devices are very much a generational thing. Although I was interested to find out that 44% of adult fiction is read on e-readers, which means 56% of it is still read in, in, in books. Um, so I, you know, I, I don't know where that takes us, except to say that there are studies that show that reading comprehension may or may not be affected by reading on a digital device instead of in real paper, but your ability to recapture the chronology of the story and your ability to identify with elements of the story at their most basic component seems to be better on paper than it is on a screen. So. Well, the other thing they found is that reading on paper facilitates deep thought. Really? You know, and reading yes. on e-readers feeds into our ADHD kind of thing right now. I think the real attraction of the library still, after all this time, is the endlessness of the choice before you. You can see so much, choose anything you want. All is forgiven if you bring it back late. But every library has adapted with computers, you know, and you can check out books on your e-reader if you need to. And it's so amazing because you go downtown to the main library and the computer center is always full and people are waiting in line to use the computers, but it's always full of readers too, you know, so they tend to Do balance each other Do you foresee a day when you go into the, to the library and it's all computer stations and you... No. Good. No, no, oh, no. Good. Good. Let us not. We will, we will all no. rise up. The horror. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying you want no, that. I'm true. just saying, is that where we're going to end up? I worry. I do worry. 
Well, you know, that brings up another point, and that is that the joy of sharing for me is what reading is all about, so that if I have a good book, I itch to get it out there. And my attitude toward owning books is once I read it, I give it to someone. I give it away. I pass it out. I don't stock my shelves at home with it. I have a friend who is exactly the opposite. When he owns a book, it is a prized possession. He puts a book plate in the front of it with his name. If he lets you borrow it, and you have to be a very good friend to do so, he wants it back within two weeks, just like the library, and he hounds you until he gets it. One thing I like about e-readers is that multiple people can read a book that you order up to five Mm -hmm. devices. So I give it to my daughters. I give it to my mother. I give it to Stuart. Uh, What's your philosophy of owning books? I mean, you've brought some very personal books today, Susan, but do you send them out there like messages in a bottle into the world? If I really love a book, I have two copies. Ah, interesting. (laughs) One to keep and one to lend. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been burned by loaning books out. So, well, I but didn't. see, that's my app. But my philosophy is, you know, you're going to lose it, but that's okay. I can't stand it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, this whole conversation, this is making me sweat. I'm like, I will buy you a book. I cannot imagine. Well, I think books are great time traveling devices. They I are. mean, whenever I open Harry Potter, the second one, I am back in a park in London where I read that aloud with my son. And I, I remember the feeling of being there. I remember reading it aloud. I'm right there. And then I I stay there for like 30 minutes, and then I look up and go, oh, well. Right. <laughs> oh, where am I? You know? But now if you read that in the book that you had as, a, as, you know, when it first came out that you read to your kids or you read a modern one that you had downloaded from the Internet, does it matter? Yes. Yeah. Because and it was that heavy book. I mean, it was. And also, that your, book has your sweat, your, your, that, those yes. experiences are in there. See, and I think that time travel works both ways. I think you're brought to where the story was, but I think when you open those, some books, the story comes to you. You know, when you read Rumi, that dervish is coming right through those pages, and you are transported into a place that's neither past nor present or future. It's just this mystical space. Well, I certainly think that books connect us to memories. And I think that objects connect us to memories far more than seeing something, um, even a picture in an iPhone is not quite the same as seeing a picture in a frame or that you hold in your hand. And maybe that's, you know, that's, that's, that's comparable. I have enjoyed reading the same books to my grandchildren that I read to my children. The and there's books. something, the mm-hmm. actual books, and there's something about having that actual book in your hand is moldy and you know, spit on it and everything else that that you've got uh, in this generation. And my daughter is reading Harry Potter now to her five-year-old. They read a chapter a night, and she read it as a child, and it's her book. It's not something I read to her because I'm too old, but there is that generational pass along that that the book connects you to in a tangible way that maybe just the words by themselves don't. And yet, I've got to tell you, my kids look around my house, which is one big library, and they go, Mom, you know when you die, we don't want these books. Really? <laughs> yeah. Because there are just too many, I yeah. think. So it's, you know, Yeah, well, make me. sure they know the five in front of you. Yes. Those need well, no, to she's st- going to probably be buried with those. <laughs> right. That's what she would take for, for a fire and what she would put in her coffin. I, I would, exactly. Um, you know, books are stories. And at the end of the day, what it is, is what is happening to the story. And if the story is still coming through, does it matter as much? Well, and also the story is not just the one in the book. The story is the book itself. Yep. So whatever tangible memory that conjures for you, whatever, uh, wherever that takes you, uh, that's part of the story. 
uh, so that in a way the story is bigger than the actual repository of whatever the other story is. Am I completely not making sense? No, that's making sense. I guess my <laughs> question is, sense. so is there a parallel? Is well, there a like contributing story to get from an, an app or a phone or a Kindle or an iPad? Is there any kind of story that that can contribute to the work? Well, you know, I do think, and I would love to hear from you guys on this as well, but I do think that the, uh, the e-device, the digital devices are tools. And I think too many, we use them as an end in themselves instead of a means to an end. And if, they, the, if we use them as a means to an end, which is to get a good story, then there are things that technology can do that real books can't. And that is nowadays there's, they've got these tap essays that are ways to read where you tap and go through the story. There's infographics. There's sound effects that you can put in stories. Um, there is some people think that I mean, even now writers are teaming up with technology people to create stories that differ according to the reader. So if you decide to go in one direction with the character or the narrative, you end up in a far different place from the next person who reads it. So it's sort of mind-boggling where technology can take us. I don't know that it's all a good thing. But there's still this wild growth in audiobooks. Yes. Because some stories are meant to be heard. I'm not a person who likes to be read to, oddly. <laughs> so you like to be the reader. I like read, to yeah. read, be the reader. And um, But I have so many friends who adore audiobooks. Yeah. And I can see the charm of them in the car, but that's the one place I don't read. Well, you know, I have, a, I have a daughter in New York, and she listens to him on the subway and mm -hmm. when she's walking to work and things like that. And so I think the audiobook is the gap device between a real book and a digital device because it's the ah. real book being read to you, but you can still do it when you're mobile, when you're multitasking, when you're doing other things. So although you and I would listen to it in the car because where else do you listen to it? They listen to it when they're jogging, when they're shopping for groceries, when they're multitasking in all of these ways that young people do now. The one thing I want to ask you, Gladden, is what's the next version of the community bookstore, the independent bookstore? Is it, is it going away forever or is it going to come back in a different form? Oh, I don't think it's going away by any means. Um, yeah, Maple Street closed for a number of reasons. Um, but in uptown New Orleans, we have such a rich community of bookshops with Garden District, which started as a Maple Street bookshop, oh, wow. Octavia, Blue Cypress. You go into any of those stores and you're going to see books that you didn't see at the other store. You're going to have a different experience than you had at, at the other store. Not better, just different. And all of them have book groups. And book groups, ah. I think, are also an important part of the community of readers. You and know, very and, and and trending. I mean, very getting huge. And New Orleans is rich in book groups. Yes, you have written town. and interviewed. You've done whole series on this. And yes, we have quite a few. And do those book groups have the the physical book, or do they have the an e reader, both. or is it both? Well, generally, they'll read the book prior to coming to discuss it. So how they read it differs, but coming together to discuss the book is you know so important. And what we did at Maple Street. My coworker um, said, why don't we have a different local author each month pick the book that we're going to read? It can be their own book or one of their favorite books. And then come in and lead the book discussion when we read it. So that's what we did, and it was the most successful thing. People loved it. I think the authors really enjoyed it. Of course. <laughs> and um, it was so much fun. 
Well, you know, that brings up a good point, which is the pleasure of reading is not just in reading. It's also in discussing what you're reading. And this is where the bookstore came in, where the book groups come in, where the reading life comes in, is people like to share that information. And in a way, when you were talking earlier, I was thinking of the independent bookseller as kind of a, a, of a modern day salon. Uh, in the in the old-fashioned sense of the world, where people could come together and talk about things that maybe they didn't, and which is what this podcast is trying to do. That's it. There you go. There yeah. You go. I, I will say, too, that books are a means to a story, and digital devices are also means to a story, and however you get from here to there is largely individual taste, and, you know, if we all just read more, I think we're all just better off no matter how we do it. Well, so much is serendipity. You know, whenever I get depressed, I go to a bookstore and I watch people buy books. This is like stalkerish, but you know what I mean. And it never fails to move me to see somebody in front of a bookshelf reach for a book. And I always look to see what it is and think, was it the cover? Was it the title? Was it the author? And it's just magic. You know, it's just magic that moment. And it's lucky that we can all have it in bookstores and libraries, I think, because well, it can and, change us. And I think the word, a word that um, was just in this conversation, though it wasn't spoken directly, is curiosity. And I yeah. think part of being human and part of our relationship or our attachment, really, our thirst for books and stories is a curiosity. I just heard a story today talking about a, a bookstore. I was with a client. He had just gone home for his 35th reunion, and um, it was a very fascinating trip on a lot of levels. But he said he went into this bookstore because there was one book that someone somewhat famous had written about his town that he was in all these years later. And, um, and he's like, you know, so I went to the section, wasn't there. I went alphabetically, wasn't there. And he goes, I was walking towards the door, and the book began with a T. And he goes, as I passed the Ws, I glanced over. And he said, that book almost was reaching out of the <laughs> shelf to grab me. And the guy was like, this is one of the first printings. I don't know how it got. I mean, the book owner, mm -hmm. um, the bookstore owner. And I mean, that's so that is the magic of those stores. And that's what I mean about the sort of, you know, you have all these books and they're talking to each other at night and the words are dancing, whether the pages are open or closed. And how lucky that we get to tap into that in some way. Yeah, I love to, I mean, I do read most of my books on my iPad and I do love to browse Amazon and I browse it in the same way I used to browse the shelves at La Librere and that is that I just go kind of serendipitously through different lists and I look at different roundups and then this click takes me one place and that click takes me another and it's kind of the same adventure. The best thing Amazon ever did was to give you the read and look inside the book and I do that all the time, and I read a few pages, and I see if I like it, which is exactly what I used to do 40 years ago when I would stand in that used bookstore and pull down a book and flip it open to the beginning and read the first few pages to see if I liked the writer's style or the language or if it was something I thought I would be interested in. So I guess the experience can be similar no matter the tools, and it's like Brett Will said, as long as we do it in a very human, thoughtful, meaningful way. What does it matter? Well, and maybe a way to close is this is a show called Everyday Wonder, and I think we're all finding different ways to say, um, you know, and maybe encourage listeners, um, however you're reading books, A, we hope you are reading books, and however we do, we hope you're bringing a little wonder with you because then you're going to find the magic of the pages. Thank you, Gladden. Thank you, Susan, both of you for being here. Thank, thank you. you very much. Keep and thank reading. You, and thank you, listeners. And um, if you haven't already, please remember to subscribe to our show, and we will see you next week. Oh